Hello, and welcome to the Get French Football News preview show. I'm your host, Eric Devin. And joining me this fine Thursday evening are Nathan Staples and Adam White. Tonight's jam-packed show will feature brief recaps of the two French teams' involvement in Europe. I look forward to the weekend's action, and perhaps most interestingly, our preview of the Champions League group stages as the draw happened earlier today. The Coupe de la Ligue got the weekend French football off to an engaging start early Tuesday evening. Auxerre, Clermont, and Sochaux executed relatively routine wins, while Paris FC edged host Lens 7-6 on penalties after a scoreless draw. Stade Lavalois also needed penalties to beat Lyon 4-1, but the real story was the 5-2 pasting of Lave by Chateau Roux. The round of 32 is set for the last week of October and sees the addition of the Ligue 1 teams who are not involved in European competition. In the Champions League, Monaco hosted Villarreal, and a scoreless draw was enough to see the hosts progress 2-1 in aggregate the first time a French side has made the group stage by progressing through two rounds of playoffs. Saint-Étienne, meanwhile, overcame the, the dismissal of Stéphane Ruffier just before halftime to earn a scoreless draw against Beitar Jerusalem at home, which likewise sees them into the group stage of the Europa League thanks to a 2-1 aggregate win. So, before getting into the meat of our show, which, again, today will be the Champions League draw, I uh, just wanted to, to speak with you both about... Uh, Couple questions surrounding the, ma- the two matches played uh, today and and Tuesday evening. Uh, first of all, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, a player who I was tremendously impressed by on Tuesday night, and that's uh, Timoe Bakayoko, who has recently received uh, a call up to the under-21 uh, French uh, international squad for their European quali- qualifiers uh, coming up in the next uh, week or two. Uh, so, we looking at the match. Uh, Nathan, you were the one who, who was over this. What, what did you think to Bakayoko's performance? I mean, you know, how how has his development uh, surprised or, or surprised or impressed you this season so far? He's really impressed me, and I think this was a, a culmination really of that in this in this game. Um, I thought Monaco really controlled the midfield for extended periods, which was an issue in the in the previous leg, and Bakayoko was an important part of that. I mean. Um, I mentioned in in a couple of um, last week that Bruno Soriano was excellent in the second half, and I, I expected him to really control the game for for Villarreal in this game. But he was pretty quiet, and that's probably in large part to Bakayoko, who's really striving to improve this season as a footballer, as he's getting more regular time on the pitch. He's big, he's strong, he's um, I think he's very well, uh, clever positionally as well. He doesn't risk too much at this moment in time. I think he's slowly becoming a really, really good player for Monaco and, and an important part of their midfield as a, as both a defensive midfielder. And I, I think at times he's shown the ability to potentially be decent going forward as well with, with good driving runs. But we'll wait to see how that moves forward. But at the moment, he's really impressed me and, and he's definitely one of Monaco's best performers so far this season. And the other question I, I had for you as well was, uh, we saw Jibril Sidibe played as a makeshift left back, uh, <laughs> maybe to no, no high degree of success. Uh, was this the right move for Leonardo Jardim? I mean, we can obviously say this in hindsight that yes, it paid off, but uh, is that something you'd like to see continue uh, if, if Mindy uh, does have to miss additional matches? It's a really difficult one because I, I don't know personally if someone like Echigile would be good enough to play left back over someone like Sidibe without weakening the team too much. Um, 
but then again, Raggy was abysmal as well. So it's not. It's it's a, it's a catch twenty two. I would have. I, we've mentioned this. I would have preferred Fabinho to play right back, Sidibe to play left back in Monday's absence, and play someone like Jean Moutinho from the start in the middle. Um, I thought Sidibe struggled a little bit to get the ball going forward. He was caught out a little bit too often going backwards. Um, but in the end, like you mentioned, it's it sort of paid off in the sense that Monaco still scraped through with that uh, penal- late penalty from Fabinho to make it 1-0. Um, but I was more disappointed by R- Raji, to be fair. I thought Raji was pretty abysmal. He's not good enough going forward as a right-back. He's probably not quick enough to defend as a right-back either. And it was exposed too often and against better teams, especially as we'll mention in that in that Champions League group they've drawn later. Um, both sides of the fullbacks, if they, if they have issues with Mondi, um, it may continue. Yeah, Nathan, you did rightly mention there that it was one nothing, not a scoreless draw for Monaco. <laughs> it happened just at the end of the match. We had yeah, yeah. forgotten about it. I would not blame anyone for missing that. It was uh, an awful game. <laughs> all right, so Adam, we'll come on to you. You were watching Saint Etienne's scoreless draw, and it was a scoreless draw unless they came mm. back on the field. I missed something <laughs> uh, against Bayer Jerusalem. Um, we saw the team play with sort of a three four three three five two hybrid. Uh, this is something they had deployed at the weekend against Montpellier to great success. They were able to defeat Montpellier uh, 3-1. Uh, you know, the club have a, a variety of good center backs. We saw the players that played today. That was uh, Pogba, Perrin, and uh, Kevin Teoka catherine In addition to those two, uh, they also have the youngster Benjamin Caramoco and Pierre-Yves Palamat, who could also play center back. Um, so I think it, you know, it's a good idea to, in terms of rotating the center backs and getting them all on the pitch. Uh, it also gives more more pace in the wide areas, pushing the likes of uh, Malquit and Dylan Saint-Louis further forward. Uh, but the question for me, and this is what I, I want you to address, Adam, is now the club have seven central midfielders mm-hmm. on their books, all of yeah. a, a league, um, plus quality. Uh, Henri Saive, uh, Jordan Veretout have arrived on loan, and that's in addition to uh, Vincent Pajo, Jeremy Clement, Fabien Lemoyne, Brian Dabo, and Ole Selnis. Uh, what is what's Galtier's thinking here with this glut of central midfielders? Uh, I think it's an interesting one. I, I think with the, all those central midfielders, I think I, I've mentioned on the pod before a couple of times. I think their midfield is pretty uninspiring, and with the additions of Omri Saive and Jordan Veratu, that it's definitely they're both upgrades on the on the those players that they have, like Turk Clement, Pajo, Selnes, who's actually played quite quite well in the last couple of games, but I still would prefer Saive or Veratu in there. I have a feeling that by the end of the transfer window one or two of those players might move on, Jeremy Clement being the most likely. Um, in terms of the in terms of the three the three five two or the three four three situation, I think Gautier, he does like it. But in this situation he's kind of been forced into it with both Mbenge and and uh, Polomar injured. Uh, and he's not too confident that Pogba is playing at left back. So it's a strength that they do have to have Kelva Catherine's good at centre back, so him, Pogba and Parran can all play there. And it, it makes them something Gauti is very fond of, making them much more defensively solid. They've got that solid base uh, more centrally. But going forward, I think 4-3-3 would probably be the preferred, the preferred setup. And you probably see Le Mans would, would retain his place. Henri Saive and Jordan Veritou would probably, probably come in. Veritou definitely. Um, and Selnes has done well in the last few games. It could be a little bit of a swap around between him and Henri Saive. But I definitely think they're wise signings. They're league and standard. Veritou is brilliant at Nantes Saive was growing into that central midfield position at, at Bordeaux before he moved on. So I like what he's done there, but I think that that big group that you mentioned of, of midfielders, 
to, you know, Medjun Cornier is in there as well. You, you might see probably see him and, and Clement at least move on, possibly Pajo as well. But um, two good signings and, and, and you know, they're, they're the definite upgrades than what they already had. And I imagine that that group will dwindle in the next couple of next few days before the end of the window. All right. So well done then to both Monaco and Saint Etienne. Uh, Saint Etienne will earn themselves a second seed. Uh, the draw for the Europa League group stage is uh, tomorrow. And uh, Nice are also in the mix as a, a fourth seed. So uh, good hopes for Leiber to progress, uh, much as they did last season. Uh, so concluding uh, our European uh, little recap section, we're going to move now on to our Ligue 1 previews. So we have four matches this week. Uh, we have Marseille-Lorient, uh, Montpellier versus Rennes, uh, Bordeaux versus Nantes, and the big one, of course, is Monaco hosting PSG on Sunday evening. So... We're going to start uh, in chronological order then with Marseille uh, hosting Lorient. Uh, no Abu Dhabi Diaby. What a surprise. Uh, Henri Bedimo is still injured. Uh, so we look for Karim Rekic to start at left back again. Uh, so, Nathan, I'll come on to you. Is this Marseille's ideal chance to get that uh, monkey off their back, as it will, in terms of finding some level of success at home? <laughs> um, maybe. At this, it's, it's strange to say ideal because uh, Marseille have been so poor that it's difficult to say anything's ideal for them at the moment. I don't think they want to face a an under seven side in that on that pitch at the moment with the crowd. And, uh, it, Lorient at the moment are one of those teams that don't fill you with any confidence either. I mean, we've already mentioned they've had three red cards. Yes, you can argue that the Geno one is a is a strange one that. It's difficult to wrap your head around, but he's going to be banned for at least into I think I read till September, um, and that could even be a six-month ban if they decide to extend that. And I, uh, it's a strange one to say the least. But missing players like Zago Torre, who's very important, and especially someone like Dia Dong, who's really, uh, really an integral part of their central midfield. My worry is still that Marseille aren't good enough at the back, though. Um, they were exposed too often at the weekend, especially Sakai to the pace of Marcus Koko of Gangomp, who was superb. Um, I'm not convinced by their centre-backs, and we know that the goals that they have up front in, in Benjamin Mukanjo and Majid Waris might be just enough for Lorient to really maybe kickstart their own season. It's such a difficult one to predict. It's going to be, in, rather than boring, this might be a really interesting game because um, I think this the two are so poor defensively and so porous that they might just both go for it and see what happens. It's, it's such a clash of odd, poor styles that they just need to both try and go out for this, the win that probably both of them need at this point in the season. All right, Adam, this, was, this game was your pick to to preview, and I, I had somewhat argued against it, seeing that both both teams have been somewhat reprehensible so far this season. Uh, yeah. What are you looking forward to in, in this match for tomorrow evening? I think it's um, it, it's two teams that have had pretty terrible starts to the season, and I think somebody's going to come out of this better off. Um, I think it's, it's going to be a really tight game. Um, part of the reason I, I, I was sort of excited about it was because there was a brilliant 5-3 at, at uh, the Velodrome at the end of Bielsa's reign, two seasons ago, Jordan Ayew uh, ran right and, and Lorient won 1-5-3. I think it won't be as high-scoring this time by any means, but I think there are goals in this game. I think with, um, Nathan mentioned the, the, how terrible um, Olympic Marseille's back four is. It's easily the weakest part of their team, and I think the pace of Boris Majid and, and Benjamin Makanjo, Philopotu, Bartelme, if he gets, gets a run, that there could be some joy for Lorient again here. And I, I 
I kind of fancy them to, to, to get, a, get a result here. Um, but then at the other end as well, um, Lorient, sorry, their, their defense isn't great. They've, they've lost uh, Gassama, let him go over the, over, the, over the summer. Owen Kofi is not the most defensively minded of right back, shall we say, and, and very questionable. And there could be joy for, for Cabela and, and, and Gomez there. Um, so I think there's, there's a good potential for goals in this game, and it could be relatively open. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I think Lorient um, needs something from this game as much as Marseille because they're one of those teams that worry me. I think perhaps Dijon and Nancy are going to struggle this season, but Lorient aren't too far ahead of them. And although there's that relegation playoff place, Lorient are going to be one of those teams worried about dropping into that third bottom spot. So a win here could be huge for their season. You know, it's a, even, I know it's still Marseille on, on anybody, any, by any means the force it used to be. Um, but a win at the Velodrome will still be huge confidence-wise, and uh, it, it could be big for Ripoll, who, who, if they start to you know, go on this run and perhaps, or well, it's only been two games, but if they start to lose games in a row and it, it sort of starts to go downhill, he, he could be under pressure. So big game for both teams and hopefully some goals at the Velodrome on, on Friday night. All right, with that, uh, what then are your predictions, Adam? I'll start with you. I'm going to go 2 all. 2 all. Nathan? I'm going to go 2 nil Lorient. Okay. Very good. I'm going to go for... I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw. Uh, yeah, in a sending off for Lorient. Keep that streak going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so now we'll come on to Montpellier and uh, Stade Rene, uh, playing at, at the, in the south of France uh, during uh, the multiplex on Saturday. Uh, so Montpellier uh, got a, a lovely goal from uh, Steve, Steve Mooney on uh, last weekend to take an early lead on Saint-Étienne before they did come back and win. Um, Talking about this player, you know, is he, and as, as you had seen the match, Adam, is he another sort of diamond in the rock? Montpellier seemed to have been digging these out in the past few seasons, uh, whether it's Casimir Ninga last season, Lucas Barrios two years ago. Uh, is he the type of player who can be that outlet for Montpellier to uh, be as devastating on the counterattack as they sometimes showed last season? I think I think they would they would certainly hope so. Um, he was good at, uh, on loan at Nîmes last season, and I think... Uh, he's a type of player that they need. They've got pace in their team, and he just adds adds to that pace. So, if they're going to play on the counter attack, they they would be looking for him to to make a real impact in in that area of the side. Um, that I I'm not entirely sure about whether he's going to get enough goals to 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 sort of that that kind of league and striker where they they're effective in in one regard. Perhaps they they run the channels well. They don't get too many chances, but they don't score enough goals. He may end up falling into that category. Um, if if he starts every game, you'd hope he get double figures, which in this league is good. But I'm still unconvinced whether finishing is is his it being only 21, of course. Whether it's something that he's a natural finisher, and it's that would be a huge asset for for Montpellier going forward, um, especially if they keep Riyad Boudabouz. I mean, he's going to get more chances than most, um, but and he's still an upgrade on players like Berigu and Simon Kamara. Um, but whether whether he's going to be prolific enough. Uh, to, to, to sort of keep them in where they want to be, like up on the table at least, uh, is another question. But uh, a good start for him in the, last, in the last few games. So I look forward to seeing how he progresses over the course of the, of the season. All right, Nathan, I'll come on to you talking about Ren. Uh, so we saw uh, the team playing uh, sort of a 4-4-1-1. Johan Gorkup is sort of a static playmaker uh, to allow the, the wide players and the forward ahead of him to run about whereas where he can sort of function as a fulcrum of the offense. Uh, this looked really promising. 
But, against Nancy, let, we need to take this with a grain of salt. So I guess I have a two-part question for you. Uh, <clears throat> is this a look that uh, Ren should continue with? And secondly, if Montpellier persists with this 4411, uh, does Paul George and Tep have a role with the club? Or should he not figure, given his injury history? It's a little bit difficult. I'll, I'll go with the first one yet for, about Johan Gorku, who was good at the weekend, I thought. And, and, and you're right, against Nancy, he seemed to find a lot of space. So with one result, you have to take it with that, that pinch of salt that you can't say for definite that it's it's the right it's the right move to make. I I really like him in that role, to be fair. Um, he's not... With the amount of injuries he's had in the past, he's not as dynamic as he as he used to be, and playing as that static playmaker in behind the striker, it's a it's a position that allows him to try and find the space without having to move out of an attacking area and allow himself to be that creative um, goal scoring midfielder that we saw in the past um, and displayed by his lovely goal as well. Um, on the, for the second part. For Ntep, I think you try and have to find a role for Ntep in this squad because he's too good on form not to. Um, he's probably Ren's most naturally talented f footballer um, and he's probably, if on full form, he could be their top scorer as well. I can't I can't imagine him not playing. But like you say, in that 4-4-1-1 that uh, Christian Gorkouf started with, is there a role in him there? I'm not 100% certain, not out wide anyway, because he's not. He, he does like to be further forward rather than track back, and he, he is much more dangerous in that final third than he is tracking back too often. So it's it's a question for Gorkov as manager to try and fix that, um, whether he goes and pushes another winger further forward and goes 4-2-3-1. Maybe that's a decision, but is that maybe leaving the defence too exposed? Although they are playing more defensive midfielders in that in that central area, so it it's a tough question. I would I would absolutely play in Tep if he's fit, um, as long as he's hundred percent fit. And you know that I wouldn't play him if he's ninety nine percent fit because it's not worth it. Now you need to make sure that he's fully fit before you put him on that field again because we Ren can't afford to keep having him on the on the sidelines and staggering his development anymore because it's going to adversely affect his career. So. If he's 100% fit, he has to start for me. All right. So, uh, Ntep, by the way, is is expected back after the international break, uh, along with uh, Camille Grosicki, who's also currently injured. So, uh, with that, then, uh, we can get some predictions then. Nathan, I'll come to you first. I was disappointed by Molly Pelle in the second half against uh, Saint-Étienne. I think they folded a bit, and they look a little bit heavily reliant on Riyad Boudibouz, who was... Utterly fantastic again. Um, so I'm going to go 3 uh, 1 Ren. Okay, and Adam for you? Uh, I think we go for a, um, a KG 1 all draw. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go 1 0 for for Ren. A road winner, or 0 no, 1, I should say. Uh, I think that they, yeah, again, I, I sort of have to agree there that there's not. Not really a lot to uh, look at in terms of a positive way in in uh, in Ren's style of play, or in, sorry, in Montpellier's style of play, uh, aside from the superb Boudaboos. Uh, so coming on now to Sunday's uh, early afternoon match, that's uh, Girondin de Bordeaux, uh, who are hosting FC Nantes. 
so as we mentioned in the recent past, uh, particularly on Monday's GFFN show, uh, we talked in our worry section about how uh, Bordeaux worry me. They have uh, the league's worst defense, uh, bar none, uh, six goals conceded in two matches. Uh, so what I wanted to ask is, uh, Adam, I'll come on to you first. Could this be, you know, if this is a disaster, disaster performance, say not not hit them for three or four, could this be the beginning of the end for the good for the goodwill that Gorvanek has as a bad, in terms of a bad result? Um, possibly. It's an interesting question because I feel like it is still relatively early. I mean, they, you're absolutely right. They do have the worst defense in the league, and they were pretty pretty poor defensively against Toulouse um, last week. Toulouse was very good, and Martin Braithwaite had a fantastic game, but Bordeaux were very open at the back. I think Gorkov has proved at least to some extent that this this Bordeaux side is a is a, is a sort of a step up, at least an evolution of the of the uh, Sanyol slash Ugrame side uh, with the first opening game against Sanetian when they were brilliant for an hour, seventy minutes or so. Um, so it's almost been like one great performance or seventy minutes worth of a great performance and then one terrible performance. So even though they've got they they look open at the back, they also like on their day at home, especially they're, they're going to score goals. So I'd hope that. Unless they really got, because obviously this is a derby as well, so um, Bordeaux and the fans aren't going to want to see them be hit for three or four again. But unless they get, you know, torn apart, I, I think Gorvanek's got got a little bit longer in terms of his sort of honeymoon period as a manager, because I think he's proven to the fans that that there is that he you know he has attacking intent, that he's trying to he's trying to make his team play play the right way, and with the signings of Toulon and Menes, that there's a lot of potential and. Um, I, I was lucky enough to go to Bordeaux and meet some of the fans the last season, and they were they were very sort of down on the on the Sanyal situation. And um, I think they would be really pleased with the more open style of, of football, um, which which he definitely offers. So unless they get torn apart by by Nantes this this weekend, which I don't foresee, I think it's going to be a pretty, a pretty close game. Perhaps Bordeaux even slightly take more favourites. Get Unas back at, from the start. Um, I think he's it, hopefully last week would be. Uh, Little more than a blip for 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 Gorvanek and he'll uh, he'll uh, have a lot more a lot more to offer as the season goes on. Because as we've discussed before, they're an exciting team, and I, I think there could be an asset to the league and, and you know, a good advert for the league. It's, it's a little bit of a cliche, but it could, it could be true with um, with the players they've got at hand and that attacking four four two. So if they don't if they don't you know if they don't really get torn apart, I think uh, Gorvanek's got a long way to go before the fans get too much on his back. All right, so Nathan, I come on to you then. We, we, this is a this is a derby match, uh, a derby match, and not have definitely to set up their stall in somewhat of a an uncharacteristic way for Rene Girard as being quite a bit more of an attacking team. The likes of uh, new signing uh, Nikolai Thompson, I mean Hari, uh, Adrian Thomason, who'd been at the club before. Um, Jules Aloki is injured, so they're going to be somewhat lacking in width in terms of that four three three that he's deployed deployed so far. But um, could this be? A match that could really kickstart Nantes' season if they can if they can go away to Bordeaux and score a couple goals and give a good account of themselves, maybe even regardless of the result. Yeah, if they can get a win here, um, that can be. It, they need a little bit of a lift. Last weekend when they played Monaco was a real disappointment when you looked at Monaco's team sheet. Um, I mean, credit to Leonardo Jardim for using the depth of his squad, but Nantes should have looked at that team, should have looked at that fixture that with Monaco facing a Champions League game on Tuesday and said well we'll go for this and they didn't they were they were restricted by a, a solid Monaco team 
but mainly full of their second string players really which is a, a, a bit of a shame and, and I would like to see how they will recover from that confidence wise because they, they had a okay uh, opening game where they, they showed some attacking intent and, and got the win eventually even though it was only 1-0 um, they need to try and be more inventive I think in the last game they had Eight shots on eight shots, but only two on target, which shows you clearly enough. And you could see from the highlights that a lot of their attempts were from outside of the box. They need to try and penetrate a little bit more, and that might be an option against Bordeaux with that <laughs> leaky defence they have at the moment. Um, I, I'm going to safely assume that they'll probably play Kachaniklich instead of Loki with him injured. Um, so they're keeping the they they look like they will keep their width, but it's a tough one. They've not shown enough yet I don't think to say that they're going to score plenty of goals but there's no doubt that if they can and they if especially if they score early if they get if they get off to a good score and, and grab a goal and, and knock Bordeaux a little bit which seems to be the 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 main thing and and attack them with pace which was the real problem against against Toulouse as well obviously with Martin Braithwaite and and the rest getting in behind them um, and then making forcing them make to make soft sloppy mistakes um, yeah, they might have some success there, but they need to get off to a good start. All right, we'll get score predictions. And this is actually a match I'm really looking forward to. I think there could be a lot of goals in this, but I'll save my prediction for last. Diplomatic host that I am. Adam, I'll come to you first. What? 2-1 uh, Bordeaux. Okay, Nathan? I'm going to go for a 1-0 Bordeaux. All right, and I'm going to go for 2-3, not with the winner. A big, big scoring match here. Um, so we come on now to the last weekend, uh, the last match of the weekend. That is uh, PSG's visit to Monaco. Uh, so, uh, Adam, we'll come on to you first. Uh, if there's an ideal time to play Monaco, uh, is this it? I think it probably is. Um, I think getting into the Champions League was, is a, is massive for the club, as in it, as it is for all of those teams who are who are in that sort of that last that playoff round for the Champions League. Getting getting the difference between being a Champions League side and a Europa League side, especially for a club like Monaco, given their, their well their their backing and their aspirations, um, I, I I think you know that's kind of a, they've got to achieve their one of their main early season goal now. So given that they they kind of put a lot of effort into qualifying, you had said two rounds, as you said they were the first team to qualify from. For France um, into the group stage, having qualified for two rounds, so um, difficult away away trips. We didn't. I didn't necessarily fancy them before they played uh, Villarreal. I thought it was going to be a tough game. Two really intense ties. Bearing in mind PSG have had the, the full week to prepare for this game, um, as as is always the case in league, and you have to have PSG favourites, but perhaps slightly more so coming into this game, given that. Monaco put so much into their Champions League campaign, and and just a fiery foe. I mean, if you're if you're Jardim, that's exactly what what um, pretty much every manager would do. They, that's an important early season goal. They've, they've got the rest of the league and season to, to to rectify anything that goes wrong in the first two or three weeks. Um, so it's it's going to be a very good time, given that they've they've had all those extra games, and PSG have had what even when they played last week, they even had well they played on Sunday, didn't they? So they've got had a full week to prepare. So I would say perfect time to play them from uh, from Emery's point of view. It'll come on to you. We've seen PSG look impressive, particularly in defense, but there are still some questions surrounding the form of Edson Cavani and of Hatem Ben Arfa. So a two-part question for you. One is, do PSG need another center forward? Two, uh, if PSG struggle in this match, maybe say a scoreless draw or even if they lose, um, 
I'm not saying it's a matter of his job or anything, but could there be subtle ramifications uh, for the credentials of Emery uh, going forward? It's an interesting one. I'll, I'll tackle that first one first, obviously, you mentioned. They do need another striker. I think it's pretty clear. Um, Edison Cavani was, um, frankly, awful, probably, is the best way to... He <laughs> was so <laughs> bad. <laughs> yeah, he was... I, I, th- I could have put my dad up front, and he's about... He's getting <laughs> into his 60s, and he might have scored one of those chances. Um, he, especially that one in the second half, where he's he's so close to the goal, and he still misses... I couldn't believe how bad he was at points last in that game, and it's such a disappointing thing to see because he needed to set out his stall early if he wanted to be. It's his time to be the man, and he didn't stand up in that game. Um, so if he starts in this one, which he probably will, barring any miraculous uh, movement from Unai Emery, he needs to prove it in this one and not just score, but be impressive and get in those positions. Because like like you mentioned on the show on Monday, uh, Eric, it's not the positions that's been the problem. He gets in those. It's, it's scoring and he needs to find that again. Otherwise, they do need to bring someone in. But who they bring in is the big question. You bring in uh, someone who's uh, a big name like uh, uh, it's unlikely now because he's mentioned he's going to stay at Everton but Romelu Lukaku or someone like that or do you go for a younger striker to play behind him to just add a little bit of, of pressure it's it's difficult especially with such a short window to go it's difficult to say that they're going to do anything about that but as for Unai Emery's credentials yes it, it, it they will be questioned if they have a, a poor result in this one because these weren't issues, especially in Ligue 1 anyway, uh, that that uh, Laurent Blanc was facing too often. Um, because, it, yes, they win 3-0 against Mets in the end, but for long periods of that game, it was it was strange. Because, he, it, like I mentioned on, on Monday's show, they've changed their style slightly to play their, the likes of Lucas and Di Maria slightly um, more infield this season and allowing them to move into the even the centre attacking midfield roles and exploring those areas so Lucas gets into the box occasionally and occasionally Angel Di Maria takes that position where Pastore is and they just allow the full backs to almost act like wing backs so they're that far forward you, you see Kazawa pop up in the box more often than not he scored again because he pops up in the box because he's so advanced but they have to question it because if they keep playing like this and, and struggle to get strong results, it, it begins to set that panic in that they can't do it in the in the Champions League. And I, I'm interested to see what he does tactically in the Champions League, whether he f- reflects back to something like the counter-attacking football we saw at Sevilla and a bit more solidity, or whether he does try and do this really, at times, hyper-attacking f- football where you're almost having six, and if you add Rabio into there, who's who's cutting into the space, maybe even seven, advanced forward into the final third, which is, it's, it's, it's an interesting idea to try and add more bodies in there, but they're still trying to pass round teams too often, I think, and not penetrating through runs and uh, with the ball. And um, yeah, there has to be questions if he doesn't get a result here, because this, this is a big statement game to, if they beat Monaco, then that's one title challenger potentially given a little bit of a body blow early on. So, yeah, he needs he needs a result here, I think. Not desperately, but um, just to give him a little boost it, to get a result here, yeah, it would be good. All right, then, Nathan, I'll get your prediction before we move on to the Champions League draw. Uh, I don't like the look of Monaco, and I think tiredness will take a, a big play because Villarreal made them work a little bit um, in midweek. So I'm going to go 2-0, PSG. Okay. 
Uh, Adam, for you? Uh, 4-1 PSG. All right. Uh, let's see. I will take 3-1. A reflection of... I believe they, they played that score just around this time last year. That was Krizawa's last match for... Krizawa and Marshall's last match for Monaco last year, if I, if I remember correctly. So now we are going to move on to our Champions League preview. Uh, just take about five minutes or so on each group. Uh, I'll get your impressions, reaction, initial reactions for each of them, and then uh, you'll give me uh, where you think the uh, French side will finish, and uh, along with who the qualifiers from each group will be. So, uh, Adam, I'll come on to you first. We've got Group A, PSG are a top seed alongside Arsenal, FC Basel, and Ludogorets. Um, yeah, um, it's a it's an interesting group. I, I I think it's kind of perfect for PSG in terms of their qualification. Um, I think what's important for them would be winning the group. La last last year, Real Madrid won the group. All right, PSG got through their their first round knockout tie, but even so, winning the group in these situations is really important. So I think they're favourites for this group. I think Arsenal provide them with a test, but I think out of those two sides, PSG are the the, the favourite, the better of the two. Um, even without Zlatan in, in the Champions League, who, quite frankly, especially in the bigger games in the Champions League, didn't show up last year. So I think the addition of Emery is going to be really important because I think he's a lot more streetwise in European terms. So uh, given that he's won Europa League three years in a row with Sevilla, which is an incredible achievement, it's the reason that they hired him. Um, I think PSG are going to be better in the, in the Champions League this year. They, they're going to be far more aware of their opponents, far more, far more um, sort of dynamic perhaps in the way they go about approaching games. Whereas under the Laurent Blanc they were perhaps a bit predictable, perhaps a bit stale, perhaps a bit um, no no evolution. There was no tactical sort of awareness from Blanc's point of view. So I think for PSG um, they're going to be better. Perhaps not as well, not as good in Ligue 1 because maybe Leon and, and Monaco will be close to them this year. But we can expect good big things from PSG I think in the Champions League and this is perfect group for them. So Arsenal, give them a test. They'll be, those games will be exciting, they'll be close, they're big ties, but I expect PSG to win them. They're a good sort of laying down their marker sort of thing for the bigger games to come if they can they can beat us and do it comfortably, which I'd still, I'd fancy them to do. Basel are a good team to place, face because away from home, Basel, well, well if you go to Basel, um, they're a tough proposition. They've knocked, I remember knocking English sides out. They've, they've done really well um, at home in, in recent seasons, going back five, even ten years. They're a tough proposition, so that would be a good test for PSG to go to go to Switzerland and 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 overcome that that challenge. Ludogorets possibly possibly a bit also runs in the group. Perhaps they would have PSG might have hoped for someone a little bit more competitive. At least I did as a as a, someone who's been watching all those games. Um, but I think PSG win this group and they can aim for 18 points. I I think that they they should win this group and, and do so do so comfortably. Hopefully standing them in good stead for the for the later rounds, playing a second place team. Which would be a weaker, weaker tie. Hopefully, you would imagine. So, good draw for them, I think, overall. Yeah, unless it's Atletico Madrid, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then or Bayern wouldn't be fun. But yeah. Still. So, Nathan, I'll come on to you. What are your initial thoughts on Group A? It's uh, Adam's already touched on it a lot. It's a relatively straightforward group, I would think, for PSG. It's not the most complex group. I don't think Arsenal look particularly strong this season, although. I expect them to grow as in, in the next couple of weeks as they sort of settle down and the murmurs stop going around once they've won a couple of games. They'll still be a difficult proposition, especially at home where they, they tend to turn it on in the Champions League. So 
let's not assume that that's a, a, an incredibly easy tie, but I still think, especially at the part of France, they should be beating them. Basel, an interesting team at least. Um, I think people are maybe writing them off a little bit easily because they had a relatively good summer where they brought in Serie D from uh, uh, from uh, Stuttgart. They've got Sedo Dumbia front um, on loan, and they've got um, Birkir Bignansen who impressed in the uh, in the European Championships as well. Um, he's part of their squad. He's been there for a couple of years. So is Tolent Xhaka, Mark Yanko as well. So they've got some reasonable players there, um, and like. I'd mentioned they've been excellent at home in Europe recently. They've been excellent against English teams as well and shown their strength. So they aren't going to be the easiest team to necessarily go through, but Ludogorets is one of those relatively simple ties, you would imagine. No offence to to them, but uh, it's relatively straightforward. They'll be relatively pleased that, as well travel-wise that it's not too difficult. I mean, Ludogorets is probably the furthest away, but sw- travels to Switzerland and England aren't exceptional. Um, exceptionally strenuous compared to a trip to say Moscow or or Turkey or something like that so yeah they, they can be really happy with what they've drawn and they should be absolutely aiming for a maximum points if they can alright so we're, we'll probably agree then PSG top, Arsenal second, Basel third, Ludogorets fourth yeah that's yeah. that's the consensus I would think yeah. I think Basel could run Arsenal maybe too close for comfort something along the lines of Olympiacos last season but I think the Gunners are ultimately have enough to go through. I, I saw today that they're on the verge of or have signed um, Lucas from uh, Deportivo de Coruña, who's been really impressive for that that club in Spain over the last couple of years. So a little bit of bolstering in the front line there. Um, so we're moving on now to Group E. Uh, we have uh, Seska Moscow, or the top seed, as the uh, uh, eighth-placed champion. Uh, we also have Bayer Leverkusen, uh, Tottenham Hotspur, and our fourth seed is our good friends uh, from the south of France, or very near the south of France, Monaco. Uh, Adam, your initial thoughts on this group? I, I I really like this group. I think given the new Champions League style of draw where the, the top eight coefficient uh, leagues get, the winners get seeded, it opens up to, to this type of group. So I think this is a really, really exciting group because every team fancy their chances of winning, but equally any team in this group could finish bottom. I think it's a very open and even group. Um, for Monaco, they'll be really pleased to get it because given that they've they oddly slipped into the, the, the bottom pot out of the four for the draw, they would have been, you know, fearing the worst with the, that, the, sort of the, that, that we talked about the, the Atletico Madrid Bayern, Bayern Munich group, which would have been very difficult to get out of. So they've avoided the really tough teams. So Monaco will be really pleased with this. They'll be they'll be looking forward to you know some some competitive games, and they they they'll fancy their chance of getting through. And I think they've got a very good chance of of making the knockout stage, which should be not only great for them but really good for French football. So you have imagine at least two teams going through if they can if they can pull that off. They're brilliant in Villarreal, tough team as we said before, um, a difficult place to go. And they've they've sort of uh, we talked about PSG laying down the mark, and Monaco have perhaps done it in their own slightly less. That's a noticeable way, but still important. They've gone to a difficult European team and they've 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 won. They've made it through. So that will stand them in really good stuff for draft trips to White Hart Lane and to the Bay Arena. Um, so they're, they're they're tight games. I think Spurs will be an interesting proposition for Monaco. They played each other in Europa League recently as well. It was a close game, but I think it, depending on how Pochettino and his squad adapt to Champions League football, um, Monaco that, that that's a very open game and very difficult to call. While Leverkusen are a tough proposition, they always do relatively well in Champions League. They're always quite competitive 
Javier Hernandez on form for them would be a tough proposition. Uh, Balarabi and Kevin Campbell in the midfield, the Bender brothers. Charles Aranguiz was a fantastic player, um, has been for a long time, struggled with injury though, but if they can get him on form, they're, they're a very tough proposition. So I think those three teams especially will will be all so evenly matched that we're in for a really exciting uh, group stages with them. CSK Moscow, obviously, Russia and Eastern Europe in general is renowned for being a difficult place to go, and that'll be their strength as well, but they're a very good team. Russian champions, of course. So all four teams, relatively even matched. Open group, Monaco would be very happy to not get any of the big sides, and uh, they'll, they'll fancy their chances in this group. It should be should be fun. Yeah, shades of two years ago, perhaps, for Monaco, and they topped the group with... Zenit and uh, Benfica. Ben- Zenit Benfica. Who is there's a German team in there as well? Was it was it Bayer? I think it might have been. Yeah. Yeah. Nathan, what are your thoughts on Group E? I'm. I, I like this group, but I'm a little bit less positive about it for Monaco, really. In all honesty, um, they're three awkward, tough teams, really. Um, it's going to be interesting, like we've already mentioned, to see how Tottenham will um, affect to the Champions League. Obviously, they're playing at Wembley now as well. That adds to the interesting factor of it. Um, so you have to take that into play that they're not really playing at home necessarily. So that'll be interesting. Um, whether they can adapt to that will be <laughs> will be a, will be an interesting fact. Uh, CSK are an interesting team as always. They've lost a couple of players. They've gained a couple of players. It's it's always difficult to judge exactly where they will be in European competitions, but they're not enormously far off where they were last season, and they were relatively tough in some games and relatively awful in others. So I I fancy them to probably finish at bottom, but Bayer Leverkusen are a really good team, and they've added a lot of players this summer, like Baumgartlinger from from Mainz, and they've brought in uh, Kevin Volland from Hoffenheim, a couple of good young... uh, players into this squad as well. Um, I think they're on the verge of buying uh, Dragovic as well, the central defender. Um, so they've got a really good, solid squad f- mixed with youth, like the upcoming Julian Brandt, who's super, super at the, the, la- uh, the last third of last season. He was absolutely on fire. Hakan Shalanoglu is a really dangerous player. Kalim Berlarabi is a really fantastic player. One of my favourite players of all time. Um, the good old Stefan Kiesling is still there, so do his aerial threat might be a problem for some teams, especially in the the later stages. But I, this is a really tough one for Monaco. I I think I think they've not got enough. I think they might just miss out with Spurs and Bayer. But uh, they, at the same time, they have nothing to fear in this group. So um, they should go out there and try their best, keep that stern line like they did last time they were in the Champions League group stages. Try and nick a goal in some games and. If they can keep a good homestead, they've got every chance. That's the big thing in the Champions League. Make sure you defend your home home advantage. Um, if they can do that, then they've got a chance. But if I, I do worry that they might not quite make it out. All right, I, I would tend to agree with you there, Nathan. I, I'd say Bayer to top the group, Spurs to follow, Monaco dropping into the Europa League. Unfortunately, uh, Adam, your prediction. I I think I I don't I don't fancy Spurs. I, I last couple of seasons in Europa League, they haven't performed as you might expect. Champions League step up, all right, they're playing similar level teams as they did in, you know, in the later rounds, but I'm, I'm not sure that they're going to adapt to the Champions League particularly, particularly well, whether their style will translate well to the to European football. So I, I, I think there might be, a little, it's not really an upset, but maybe Monaco might sneak through in second, very close to Bayer Leverkusen and Spurs in, in third. Yeah. Right. 
I'm agreeing with yours, Eric. So yeah, it would be that Bayer, Spurs, Monaco. Moving well, we on now to Group H, the home of my my team, Leon, uh, have been handed probably the toughest draw of the any of the three French sides. They're in with uh, Italian champions and buying every player in Italy, juggernaut Juventus, uh, Unai Emery's former team, Sevilla, although they're a little bit different than when he last saw them, and as well as Dinamo Zagreb, who Leon may remember from that infamous, as if you may, uh, 7-1 a few years ago when they beat the uh, uh, Croatian team to go through uh, in second place. Uh, so we'll come on to you first, Adam, your your thoughts on Group H. Um, it's an interesting one. As you said, it's probably the, the hardest of the of the three French teams' tasks looking ahead. Um, Dynamo Zagreb caused Arsenal some problems last season. Juventus, look, I think when Pogba moved from United to, to from Juventus to United, um, Max Allegri said like, well, he's got to be careful where he does it because given Juventus' signings in their squad as it, as it looks now, Juventus are one of the top four sides in, in Europe in, in obviously their manager's opinion, which is, you know, is he biased? But it, it's a good point. They're a very, very strong team and with Gonzalo Higuain there, he was incredible at times for Napoli last season, broke the Serie A goal-scoring record. Um, I think, I think in their, from their point of view, that losing Pogba and getting uh, getting Higuain is, is almost an upgrade. Uh, Pogba's a world-class player, but Higuain might be that extra sort of goal-scoring factor they need to, to, to really challenge this year. Obviously, they've been in the final recently, but they'll be a real threat. Sevilla are a really interesting side. Much change, as you said. They've won the Europa League last three, as, as I mentioned before, as, as everybody knows, but I've had a large overhaul in players with like Wassim Benyedo would be interesting to see how he does in the Champions League. We have a footstool, footstool background at Toulouse. He was he was I, I one of my favorite players in the league, and it's yeah, interesting to see how he adapts to the to the to, uh, to the biggest stage. Luciano Vietto in that side, um, I thought was brilliant at, at Villarreal. Very 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 sort of uh, clever finisher that used space really well, nipped in and, and was very very um, very effective. Not so much at Atletico Madrid, but be interesting to see how he does. Ganso's finally got his European move to Sevilla from Sao Paulo after he came through with Neymar at Santos and was going to be the next big number 10 for Brazil. Didn't really work out for him. In and out with injury, very unreliable. Perhaps hasn't got the pace, maybe. But it'd be really interesting to see how he does. Um, Hiroshi Kiyotaki coming in from Germany. They're a really interesting team, having, but they've had a big overall. So they've, they've lost Kevin Gamero and Eva Benega, and I don't know that this team, although Sao Paulo is going to be incredible to watch, that 6-4 at the weekend of Espanyol was... Was, was fantastic, but whether they're going to adapt to European football, whether San Paoli is going to be able to to adapt quickly, because obviously he's not played, he's not been in the Champions League recently. So I think for Leon, it's not as bad as it looks on paper. I think them and Sevilla are relatively well matched, given the, the turnover and obviously the manager's move as well. So I think Leon won't be too upset. I, I think the games between them and Sevilla will be will be the key ones, and especially um um at the Fantasy Juan, that will be the key game and they'll be looking at that as a game they need to come out with without defeat, assuming they can get six points from, from Dynamo Zagreb, which isn't going to be easy either. So, yes, difficult task, but I think Leon fancy their chances too. Nathan? I agree with a lot of what Adam's already mentioned. I mean, um, it's it's not an easy group, put it that way, um, but I, w I will make a minorly controversial point at the moment where I don't think watching bit of Juventus at the weekend I don't think they're necessarily better than they were last season, I think Allegri's maybe hyping his side a little bit up because they, they at times against Fiorentina they looked a bit 
lackluster and, and a bit uh, devoid of ideas, but they're obviously missing a couple of players still, and they're looking to. I think they're still looking to bring Quadradro back into the club, and that will help. But uh, I'm not entirely convinced they're going to blow people away necessarily, but they're so good defensively at times that um, I, I still see them winning the group. That severe result of the weekend was oh, God, what, a, what a game that was. Um, and it, it, Adam's already mentioned all the fantastic talent they've brought in. And the real positive for them is they they all the big ones scored at the weekend. I mean, Vieto got two. Franco Vasquez, who they got from Palermo, he scored one. Ben Yedda grabbed one. Hiroshi Kiyotake grabbed one. So they've had all their attacking talent that they've brought in all score, which will give them that little bit of a boost that they need, but they're going to be really interesting in Hawaii San Paolo. Not, I don't think they're going to be the most solid defensively, but by the word, I am looking forward to that game between Sevilla and Leon, between Lacazette, Fakir and Corne versus Vieto, Franco Vasquez, Ben Yedda, Kiyotake. That's not even adding like Canopolienka. Oh, that's going to be that might be a humdinger of a game with Jorge Sampaoli as well. But uh, Zagreb are a bit of a challenge, especially especially in Croatia. They're not always going to be the easiest game. Um, they'll always get, they'll always have a they seem to have a consistent conveyor belt of talent. So we'll see the other players that they they're springing out when they play again, and they're always an interesting team to to look out for because they're not going to be a walk in the park. But I also it's going to come, like I already mentioned, it's coming down to that Leon severe doubleheader and whether Leon have enough to go and do it. I I think they might just have enough, um, but it's going to be very close. All right. I will agree with you, Nathan, but maybe there's a little bit of bias included in there. Adam, would you favor severe Leon to progress? Oh, it's so tight, isn't it? That Nathan's right. That game is going to be going to be fantastic. I look forward to it a lot. Um, I'm going to say not quite. I I think they've got a huge chance. It's like 51-49 for me, but just severe. I think over the course of the group, um, Leon might get out of the uh, might might get some you know get some decent play in both those games, but over the course of the group, severe just possibly on goal difference or head to head or something like that. Could be very close. Certainly the physicality of Sevilla's midfield gives me some pause with Ibora and, and Zanzi and the likes of those players in there. Um, but that is, unfortunately, all we have time for today. Thanks for listening. Uh, this has been the Get French Football News preview show. We will be back at 8 o'clock uh, British Standard Time uh, for more football news from France. You can follow us at GFFN or visit us online at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com. Uh, thanks for tuning in. I've been Eric Devin, joined by Adam White and Nathan Staples. Thank you, and have a pleasant rest of your evening. The Europa League draw is tomorrow. We'll get to find out who Saint-Étienne and Nice are facing. <laughs>